Hi, friends. Join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. With both a spoiler and spoiler-free analysis, there's something here for everyone. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. Hi, friends. Welcome back to Becoming Buffy. We are on season four today. Holy cow. How did this happen? Like we're almost halfway through the show and I am completely floored by the fact that didn't we just start this podcast like, you know, last month? Like what is this? It's crazy because whenever I think of this season, I think of like, I feel like this is like season four on down is like part two of Buffy to me. Yes. Like seasons one and three is part one. And then seasons like four to seven are like part two. And I mean, if you really wanted to break it up, there could be like, you know, part three and whatever. But it's like, I really do see such a separation. And I think part of that is like four really tries to find its footing. Um, But even if you just, you look at all the like actors and stuff, like, they all look a little bit older. They're more established in their roles. They they kind of know who their characters are. And the storylines take a much more mature route after season four. Yeah. And it's just fun. Like we're in a new location. We're going to college now with the Scoobies. Um, I mean, it's also bittersweet because we don't have Cordelia and Angel anymore. So we're, we're missing part of the cast, but that just means there's more openings for new members of the cast to join in and new characters to start talking about, which I'm super excited about. Um, and this season is, it's so funny because I think this is one of those seasons that's very divisive in the sense that like it's a lot of people feel very meh about it or they absolutely adore it. And it tends to be one of those where I, I think for me personally, it's a more it's the most uneven season of all the mm-hmm. episodes because you have some of the best episodes of the show in this season, but you also have some of the worst episodes of the show. So it's very much a mixed bag, but the tone is very different, and as we go into it, like and talk about each episode, we'll kind of discuss exactly where they're heading and what the tone is and stuff. And um, but yeah, and it also feels kind of like a turning point because we're also not going to be doing the spoiler section for each episode, which I think is going to be a little hard for us because <laughs> there's going to be things we're definitely going to want to talk about. I feel like this season, every rewatch, I begrudgingly start it, and then like as I go through, I'm like, you know what? This is good. And then a whiplash the next episode. And I'm like, I hate this. Get this off my screen. <laughs> next episode, this is really good. Next episode, the worst thing I've ever seen. So it's yeah. just the season is very confusing. And it's not that I dislike it, but I don't love it. So it's like, it. I don't know. I get very confused and I never know where I put this in my ranking um, of seasons. I genuinely have no idea because like, like you said, Sarah, it's like there's some really good episodes or some like really forgettable or really memorable, but you hated episodes. They're so memorable so. because they're so bad. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, totally. And I mean, the show is changing. It's finding its footing. And I, and you know, we're, we're also kind of trying to do the same. And so I think that it's going to be really fun. I'm going to be completely honest. I think this is the season I have seen the least out of all of the Buffy seasons. So I'm personally very excited to go through it and analyze it. And I mean, we've been through three Buffy seasons now. I feel like my feelings on the past three seasons have changed radically just by going through it in a, on a much deeper level. So I'm really excited to see what we're going to unearth. Hopefully, we'll come out of it with like a new, fresh appreciation for what they did. Um, but yeah, it's going to be good. But quick announcement, um, Becoming Buffy and Investigating Angel are going on hiatus for the month of July. Next week, we'll be talking about Angel Episode 1, City of, over on Investigating Angel, which means that this episode is our last one until August 4th. We will be back and we'll jump right into the rest of Season 4 and Season 1 of Angel over on Investigating Angel. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to a break, but I'm also so, so, so excited to get back and kind of like talk about Buffy and Angel alongside each other and really get into it. So, all right, let's get into it. The Freshman, written and directed by Joss Whedon, of course, aired October 5th, 1999. So this episode, like starting from here on out, the series was filmed in 16 by 9 widescreen. This would be the case for the next three seasons. Um, however, Joss Whedon never actually intended for it to be shown this way. So while the widescreen version was filmed like that, they always meant for it to be I think it's called four by three. I'm probably totally butchering it. But so like when you know the the like the 90s TVs, like the little box ones that have like the rabbit ears and stuff, that's kind of how Buffy was supposed to be displayed and how it was filmed. Um, and DVD releases of this episode in the past recent years, especially with HD, have taken the original ratio that it was filmed in 16, 9, 16 by 9, however you say that. And have not cut it down. And so a lot of times when you watch on like Hulu or Amazon or even when it was on Netflix, you can see a lot of um, mistakes and people that are out of frame that should not be out of frame. I know like with the Faith and Buffy fight in season three, you can see the camera crew at one point when they're out on the rooftop and season four has quite a few. So I'm a Buffy purist. I am a huge advocate for buying the DVDs because that's the way to be able to see it how Joss Whedon intended it to be before, you know, all the networks butchered it. But if you're curious to know a little bit more about that, I highly, highly recommend um, Passion of the Nerds. I think it's called The Great Travesty of the Buffy HD Remaster or something like that. And he goes into detail on why the remasters are absolutely horrendous and how maybe one day we can actually get a great HD remaster that isn't just butchering the color correction and all that stuff. So definitely check it out. Um, this episode aired the same night as the series premiere of Angel. It was the episode City of. The two shared a very brief crossover moment, as we'll talk about in the episode when Buffy goes to answer the phone but doesn't hear anything. That's actually Angel calling her in City of, which is really, really cute. Um, so for the rest of the season, Buffy would go on to air first, and then Angel would air right after in the time slot. So kind of cool. 
All right. So according to Joss Whedon, season four was about how do you keep the group together without being sort of 90210 about it and believably? The answer is you don't. By season four, we were into mission statements. Season two was Spike and Drew, and then we realized we were doing the angel thing, and then that became the season. Season three, we knew we were going to do the faith thing and graduate, and there was going to be some growing up to do. We didn't come into real mission statements until season four because things were so different. What we said was this is the first year of college. The first year of college is about being able to do whatever the hell you want, completely losing yourself and trying on new identities and changing. We didn't want to watch the same show every week, and we don't want to make the same show every week. Not having David Boreanaz anymore made it easier because it meant we had new places to go. What had become tough was how we could wring any new changes out of that relationship. Well, we no longer had that problem. David Fury says it was exciting for Joss to challenge himself. For the rest of us, it became trickier because high school was the perfect allegory for the show. Once we blew up the high school and moved to college, things became less universal. A lot of people don't go to college, so trying to find that allegory in the stories becomes a little bit more challenging. We were able to latch onto a few things. One of the things was Xander being the one friend who doesn't go to college and feels left behind. But trying to find out what is the commonality in college was trickier. Marty Noxon says Buffy in particular finds herself adrift. We wanted to really convey her sense of insignificance compared to this big experience. We thought a lot about the fact that even though she's a slayer, this isn't a situation that a slayer necessarily has the skills to take on. The character of the slayer is only interesting when she's human and when she has human emotions and frailties, which I thought was a really, really good point. Like ultimately, that's what grounds Buffy, right? Because we can't we none of us can compare with a slayer that has superpowers and fights vampires, but we can totally empathize with the feeling of stepping onto a campus or going somewhere new that you don't feel like you fit in at all. Bro, I will say I always appreciated the fact that they made Buffy be the one who was kind of the outsider. Yes. Because yes. Willow was kind of an outsider in in high school mm-hmm. and then Xander kind of felt like on the outside. And Buffy didn't necessarily feel at that place in high school at all. So I'm not saying like, oh, it was her turn. I'm just saying like Buffy is just like a beautiful, like cool girl that like I definitely think felt a little more at home in high school. And I feel like it would have been so easy to make her so popular in college because she's like, Buffy and she's cool and she's mysterious, but I like the fact that she felt like an outsider because it's way more relatable and it's cool seeing the character that you look up to kind of feel like an outsider like you. Absolutely. Totally. I love that you brought that up, Leah, because that's something I really resonated with when I was watching this episode. And yeah, I'll talk about it more in a second. So that kind of like leads me into my next thing, which is obviously this is a season of change. And with the change comes some growing pains, but also a little bit of negative stuff. And we've talked before about behind the scenes with Joss Whedon and stuff like that. And I think season four is when the tensions behind the scenes started to really kind of ramp up a little bit. And part of that is because of the show Angel like coming um, on I was going to say online. There was not really much of an internet at that point, but it um, Angel started getting on its feet and Joss was kind of a little stretched thin. So in Katz's book, um, Into Every Generation, he writes, as Buffy's fourth season prepared to leave the departure gate, so too did Whedon's other child, his new one, Angel. As showrunner for both series, Whedon's time was split between the two shows. And as any parent knows, a baby needs outsized attention. So th- I thought this quote from 
Tony Head was really interesting. He says, part of the difficulty for me was that not only did Charisma and David leave, but also Joss did because he was going to take on this new show. Marty was great as a co-showrunner, but she was quite young. She was quite scared, but Joss had been the core and the balance of the core had shifted. Now it was a little bit more of who was friends with who and how we all sat in the great scheme of things. I think that's where it changed. And Fury goes on... Um, or David Fury goes on to talk about how David Greenwald left to go to Angel, and he had always been Joss's number two guy, like right-hand guy. And so he talked about how it was very – it caused a lot of tension in the writer's room initially because Joss would never ask his writers for ideas. He would always bounce them off of David Greenwald. Well, David Greenwald leaves in the beginning of season four, and all of a sudden Joss is forced to turn to his writers for new materials and stuff because Joss is n- – he's more busy now. Um, and so – he was forced to rely on his staff a little bit more. And then he started bringing Marty Noxon up as kind of to, into David's position. This is a season where Josh started mentoring Marty, who, as we know, takes over as showrunner in season six and seven. And it's also the season that I think is a little less structured and seems to not really know what it is. And I think that's reflected in what's happening behind the scenes in the writer's room with Joss. Um, and even kind of with some of the cast after that. So not only are we entering a new season, but a whole new chapter in the show. How does the show deal with that? And this kind of goes to what you were saying before, Leah, by making the main character Buffy just as out of place and uncomfortable with change as we are. And I think that was so smart of them to make it Buffy being the fish out of water because us as the audience, we're already like, we're so unfamiliar with this new campus, with this new season, like what's happening. And I think it was comforting to watch Buffy wrestle with almost the kind of the same thing that we're wrestling with. And so it was actually just a brilliant way to make the audience really comfortable with the change that's about to happen. And in many ways, our environment helps define who we are and who we can be. If we feel comfortable in our surroundings, we are free to thrive and grow. If we are not comfortable, we are constrained by the ever-present need to rebel against or adjust ourselves to something essentially foreign to us. At UC Sunnydale, Buffy can't find herself in the college context and begins to doubt even the part of herself that she has the most confidence in, her slang. The best thing about this episode was the nature of isolation Buffy felt entering college and how different relationships truly are. There was this uncomfortable sense of change and growth. In thinking of all the feelings and changes, it implied the difficult task of rebuilding a certain structure for all the characters and their places in this new environment, and it succeeded extremely well. And that's from All Things Philosophical. So I don't know. I love this episode. I have never really thought very much about my opinions on it as a episode premiere, but I think it is really strong and it's also very enjoyable and it accomplishes what it needs to accomplish. I think it's hard because when you put this episode up against the premiere of seasons one and not one, two and three, for me, it's not as strong. However, only, but that's only because like the season opening, like Anne is and it's phenomenal. Is a phenomenal episode. I've yeah. I've seen that episode so much, but it's amazing. And then when she was bad, like both such good episodes, and they perfectly do a good job of encapsulating what happened in the last season, but also how she's feeling now. So I think those two are hard to compete with. Also, like the endings of those seasons were so personally damaging to Buffy that it's like she had to be going through it. Sure. But I will say I like this episode. 
I think it's enjoyable, and I think that it does a good job of setting up what we're kind of going to see in the season. Yeah. So as an opener, I don't think it's bad. I just don't think it's my favorite. Sure. But I still think it's really good. I kind of disagree. I love this opening. I think it's really solid. I think it says and shows everything it should say and show for the vibe of the season. Um, And I like the fact that it kind of like hurts a little bit. Like when I watch this, I really feel everything that Buffy's feeling more so than when she was bad. Like sometimes when I watch when she was bad, there's things that I change about it to make it be a little bit more impactful um, or to have a little bit more of a climax or like I just – would do some things differently. I think Anna is like God tier for like the opening of a season. Yeah. That's my favorite right. out of all of them. But I really feel like three, four, and seven are like the most solid openings of seasons. Um, just well-rounded, great, like tone setter. Just it gives what it needs to give for the season opener. Every season opens up in a graveyard, right? With the exception of Welcome to the Hellmouth. Yeah. Um, and I, we talked about this a couple episodes ago, but she's wearing braids. Why do you think that is, Sarah? I think maybe because she feels vulnerable, Tabby. Oh, innocence. What is vulnerable, Tabby? <laughs> I feel like I'm on Jeopardy. Her, whenever she wears double braids, I'm like, oh, I wish she wore them more. They're so cute. Well, every time she wears them, it's like helpless. It's um, all those uh, episodes where she's feeling very, A Halloween very episode coming up. I think that they're also trying to really emphasize her humanity. She feels very touchable this yeah. season. Did you notice the first uh, shot was of an angel, which I thought like the statue that we see as she like walks right in front of it was an angel. And I thought, oh, wow, they're really like going there for the subtleties of like Buffy's still thinking about angel, <laughs> which I love. I love the little hints about angel in this episode mm-hmm. because I'm glad they didn't just completely yes. write him out and go, okay, well, Buffy's turned a new page. Yep. She's over. It's like, no, that was a great epic love. Let's have a mm-hmm. little little moments there where she's obviously thinking about him. And I feel like in television, we don't usually get that. We don't usually get residual yeah. stuff after a relationship. Like they usually kind of want to move on pretty quickly. And so yeah. the fact that they they purposely wrote in subtleties of her being reminded of Angel and or their relationship, several of them in an episode, um, is very comforting as a viewer. Well, but I think it also helps us as viewers to mourn mm-hmm. because yeah. Angel was such a big character that it's like, it's helpful to us to know like, oh, he's not just gone. Like he's still a big part of the show, even though he's not there. Like he was very important. And so he left a big impact on the show. What kills me is that the style to- choices of 1999 and 2000 are so like different so vast yeah yeah like we have this opening shot and willow's rocking the early 2000s short choppy flared out haircut i don't know how to explain Mm it um so many people had that haircut in like early rom-coms and and stuff like that um and it's so cute i love it like it's it's very reminiscent of that time um so there's that that just screams 2000 buffy's wearing like T-length slip dresses in this episode, which is so 2000s. Again, really cute. But it's just also kind of sad, too. I was like, oh, like we're, we're done with all of like the Buffy 90s outfits. I will say, okay, I didn't hate college. I really 
I didn't love it. Um, but my least favorite thing every semester, and I'm not even joking about this, was figuring out my freaking schedule because I went to community college and I'd have like a set time like way later than everyone else because they would do it off of priority. And I'd have to sit at my table. I'd have all of the courses that I, I could view beforehand, but I'd have to pray the whole day by the time my slot is open that they're not taken <laughs> up. Every semester they were taken up and I'd have to sit there for hours, tears streaming down because I had to like, I wanted to um, transfer after two years. So I had to get a certain amount of classes. Otherwise I'd have to stay there another semester and yeah. then I could transfer. So I do not envy the girls sitting there and like trying to figure out like substitutes and figuring out their schedule. And when Buffy said, or when Willow said the Buffy hadn't like signed up and she's behind everyone else, I was like, girls, I get to- <laughs> <laughs> go get your schedule. I'm stressed Buffy, out for you're you. stressing us. Yeah, I, know. I, I love, I love how in her element Willow is and how she's like, yep. They just complement each other really well because you could tell Buffy's nervous about this and is not quite sure what she wants to do. And like, I don't know. This is kind of cool. Like Buffy's out there patrolling, doing her job while Willow's out there helping her. I don't know. I love it. And I've been loving the friendship between Buffy and Willow, especially the back half of season three and seeing it continue into this episode. And I will say I'm very glad that they did include this scene with them because I feel like Willow's very absent this episode. Not because I think she's a crap friend, but just because she's really flourishing at college and Buffy's yeah, not. not her fault at And all. so I think this moment was needed to be so that we mm-hmm. were reassured that they're still friends and like Willow's not like, peace out. I've got, you know, my own life now. Well, and I think it's hard too because you don't expect Willow to cater everything to Buffy and you don't expect her to kind of like you know, like handhold her because Buffy, I mean, Willow has to figure out a lot of stuff about college too, but it it is important to see that she's trying and that she's encouraging her friend. Totally. So they're trying to figure out their schedule and then as they're talking and like saying <laughs> which courses they can have to substitute, this vampire just like rolls up in the background being so noisy, <laughs> observes all of their like weaponry and then just walks away. Well, and it's funny too because like they mention like Willow's like you should take psych with Professor Walsh or wait images of pop culture. This is good. They watch movies and shows. Both of those classes are the ones we see later on the episode. She gets yelled at Mm -hmm. by that one professor and he's like this is not just a class where you watch movies and stuff. I don't know. Joss really knows how to tap into the relatable moments of the teacher-student dynamic. I was like who has this even happened to? Like first of all he was being so horrible. She was just asking a question and she said it to him. She was like, I was wondering if I could be in your class. And he's like, get out. You're sucking life from everyone in here. I'm like, dang. She's just asking to be in it. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, when we get to that point, I have a, a funny story to to tell with that. But yes, I think some professors just have a power trip. They are so used to yeah. being the one that holds all the power. And I don't know. Anyway, I, yeah, we'll talk about it when we get there. So, and then Buffy's all like, I just got to make sure that, you know, it doesn't take the edge off my slang, got to stay sharp. And then I love the timing of her turning around just in time as he like cuts out of the screen. And she's like, man, is this guy ever going to wake up? And it's such a good foreshadowing or like setup for the rest of the episode where Buffy's just, she's not sharp. She's out of her element. I know it kind of sets up like the rest of the episode for sure. She's definitely not paying attention to her surroundings and is out of the loop. Um, speaking of which, like outside of the school campus, 
The poor girlie looks so lost. This would have been me if I had to go straight into a four-year. Oh, gosh. This was giving me social anxiety. I think this episode is so <laughs> effective because like, yes. I, I already struggle with uh, yeah. major social anxiety, but also put me in an environment that's crowded with people. Even if everyone else is just as lost as I am, I'm thinking that I'm looking like a freaking idiot and everyone's <laughs> paying attention to me. So the fact that she's surrounded by so many people I guarantee no one's paying attention to her, but I just was like stressed for her. Like I know why they don't have Joyce there, but typically you have parents there for orientation. You typically go there a little bit before classes so you know like where your hall is. Like it isn't like so much – like it's a little more structured than that. I know when when I had my first classes, I made sure to go on campus first and like kind of know the layout a little bit. I wasn't just thrown in there. No, yeah. Leah made me drive her to advise <laughs> her classes with there her. There it is. I was stressed out because I didn't want this happening to me. There is the real story right there. <laughs> I literally went there and I was like, Leah, this is this building. This is that building. Did you hold her hand, Tabby? Did you buy her pencils? Maybe I needed that. Oh, my God. <laughs> a little hand load goes a long way. <laughs> but this part was funny because Buffy's like walking through. There's like protests. There's flyers being handed out. There's initiation of men in their underwear. There's like oh my flyers word. for jello shots. And and then she runs into Willow. And then Willow, who we usually think would be the more overwhelming one, is like thriving. She's excited. Buffy yes. gives her all of her like pamphlets and her flyers and yeah, Willow's absolutely thriving. She's like, there's so much stuff going on, and Buffy's like, yeah, one might say too much, and it's really interesting because like they're they're having this discussion, and then Oz comes up, mm-hmm. and Oz immediately picks up on the, how overwhelmed Buffy is, and he's trying to like relate with her, but then he's all like, hey, Jeff, Paul comes or whatever, up. Or Paul, <laughs> whatever okay. his name is. You know, one of my favorite things is when there's like this random ass character. And they're supposed to be weird. They choose the most <laughs> bland white male name, and it's the funniest <laughs> thing for, to me. Like, oh, hey, Paul, Jerry, hey, Jerry. You know, like it's just <laughs> random names. So, funny. but also, it's like, well, who thought Oz was going to be the social butterfly of the game? <laughs> no, it totally makes sense. I feel like college is re- really where the tables flip. Like. I feel like everyone mm. who in my high school who ever thought that they were like quote unquote cool, which I also went to like a super small high school, so take it with a grain of salt. But like you went to the same one as us, Leah. <laughs> no, I know. I'm s I didn't go to the same one as the people listening. Try to preface. Oh, 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 um, oh sorry. My apologies. But like I'm saying, like everyone who thought they were cool in high school, the minute they got in college, I just was like, You guys look like idiots. Because yeah. it was like everyone was just there to kind of do their own thing. So the people who just kind of like were there to like just kind of do their school and chill or whatever were always the people that everyone ended up liking so it totally makes sense that oz is the type that people kind of gravitate towards because the people like xander i'm telling you do not thrive in college i i i'm cracking up because the guy that they got to play paul this poor guy we're ripping him apart he's there for like you know 30 seconds he had to say the word matriculating (laughs) And it felt like he was not quite comfortable with the um, the vocabulary that Joss wrote, which we know Joss has a very like specific lingo and a way of saying things. And so he was like finally matriculating with us. Very cool. Like you could tell the guy was just so uncomfortable. It was just very funny. I was cracking up the entire time. No, my favorite person was um, the the Doug person. So Oz is talking. He's like, my bit. 
He's like, my band played here a lot. Still also new. I don't know what's going on. Hey, Doug. <laughs> it's just all these old white white men names that are so funny. <laughs> what's up, Bill? <laughs> Joss is just trying to find random generic names that pop in his head. He's like, Doug. So Buffy and Willow are like, hey, like, let's take a little bit of a tour. They walk inside these massive halls and they start talking about how Giles doesn't have a job anymore. Too bad he couldn't be the librarian here. That would be convenient. And I was cracking up because I feel like in any other teen show, they would have had Giles like pop up and be like, hey, actually, I got a job over the summer and now I've decided to be your guys' librarian. It's like, oh, okay, we're just going to transfer the exact same formula that we had in high school and move it over to college. And I like that they didn't do that. I will say like <clears throat> I'm starting to sound like Leo. Leo always starts sentences like that. Oh no, um, here it goes. <laughs> um well, the Tabby's integrating with her shadow side. <laughs> my shadow side is Leo. Oh, That's oh, insulting to Leo. <laughs> Leo's a full person, Sarah. That's really rude. <laughs> Sorry, just it's not a reflection of-, of my personality. <laughs> oh, my I know. Gosh. <laughs> I know I don't speak that much on the podcast, but oh my gosh, bro. Leah has her own thoughts and ideas, Sarah. We're feminists here, okay? <laughs> ah, okay, sorry. Carry on. I'm cracking myself up at my own joke. This is bad. I need to go to sleep. Carry on. One thing I really do more in after season three is Giles being conveniently around. It just adds to the vibe of the I show. Agree. Yeah. Like they could just pop over and they can train or they can ask him about something and like in between classes, like it just flows together really well. And I love that. And so I think having to go from from um set to set that doesn't really feel like they connect as well kind of to me fits the whiplash feeling of the season. Mm-hmm. Um which I didn't even actually know that I'm thinking about it. Sometimes, do you guys ever notice on the podcast, you'll start saying stuff and you're like, oh, I never thought about that until like you're like literally saying it in the moment. You're like, yeah, interesting. Yep, like, good thoughts. Didn't know I thought that. <laughs> and everyone else is like, we already thought of that. What are you talking about? And you're like, whoa, mind blown. <laughs> um, so they walk inside this massive library, which is funny to me because it doesn't really look that massive they're like whoa i mean like the the ceilings are really high but there's not that many like books you sound like that stoner vampire at the end of the episode he's like whoa he was weird sometimes like some of those people i was like what was the point of you you're such a weird vampire um but there wasn't that many books i really feel like it felt like it was supposed to be like the beauty and the beast reveal of the library but it kind of just kind of felt like lackluster yeah i think the point was to just be like everything is bigger so it feels a lot more daunting um so we go into the gift shop i can only assume is a gift shop or bookstore or whatever it's to the kind bookstore, of pick yeah up, yeah um books for class they kind of go around shopping for their different books i see the psychology books that Buffy needs for her psych class with, we've mentioned several times, Professor Walsh, who we will meet. This is like the fourth time they've mentioned it in this episode. It's like, okay, I'm we like, get it. Hmm, We're going to meet Professor Walsh. I wonder Walsh. if she's important. <laughs> and then, uh, lo and behold, Buffy knocks over psychology books on a boy's head. Uh. We've come to find out named Riley. Leah, go ahead. I know you're waiting. Here's the <laughs> I will refrain Don't spoil. from saying anything. <laughs> That's what I was saying. I literally was saying I was refraining from saying anything. <laughs> yes, but Leah, you're total voice. Can you voice, please? <laughs> no. <laughs> All I was going to say is 
I see nothing wrong with him in this episode. <laughs> He's a normal college human being. That's all I was going to say. That's it. I liked his hair. Yeah. I think it I think his interactions with Buffy were a little rude, but that's normal in college. That is so oh, normal. My word. Guys rude. <laughs> what was rude, Leah? He just kind of was like short with her, but like that's not, I, you know how many she movies? also sounds like a you fucking idiot. Like also, I'm guys you know sweet. Many... I love Buffy, but that hurt me. That hurt. But also, you know how many times I was rude to people in college? Countless. Yeah, all the time. Countless. You're what semester of college? <laughs> I was in college for two years. What are you talking no, about? No, you were not. No, you were not. So this guy looks like he would be Willow's new love interest if she were not with I know, they're kind of like hitting it off. I know. I was like, he seems like sufficiently nerdy, like right up her alley and stuff. I was about to say, he has the 90s haircut that makes he me does. swoon every time. It doesn't Leo, matter who you Leo are. Haircut. It's yep. No, it's the Leo. It's it's the the Billy from Scream. It's Brad the, Pitt. Brad Pitt. It's the – oh, it's the Dimitri – from Anastasia, from Anastasia. Yes. It's all of those. It's all of those together. It's just that 90s haircut is kryptonite for me every time. I love it. It's the best. Yep. yep. Although I will say not only were those books heavy college books, but they're psychology books. Oh, they books, would have like, knocked them That out. would have hurt. He's yeah. like, oops, ouch. Anyway, yeah. I would <laughs> be like, like <laughs> slurring my words, vomiting. Riley's <laughs> trying to appear. Knocking out. <laughs> Riley's trying to appear all manly and he walks away and like passes out around the corner. He probably um, in his head made up Buffy saying, I'm nice to meet. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying that she never said that. So is I'm making he, up scenarios where his concussed brain made to up to try that. to excuse Buffy's yeah. just like brain fart. Oh my word, so funny! I hate that phrase. And like brain fart is the most <laughs> weird term. <laughs> okay, do you have a better phrase that I can swap oh, that out that with? <laughs> oh, it's Abby. <laughs> All right, moving on. I really like – I mean, I, I know we keep talking about it. I just love this really confident, in-charge Willow. I think that ever mm-hmm. since Choices, we really – or not Choices, but Doppelgangland, we've really seen a shift in Willow. And just – I mean, the fact that she's like introducing herself to people and then saying, this is my friend Buffy, it's almost a complete reversal of how Buffy and Willow were in Welcome to the Hellmouth. And it's just – it's really cool to kind of see a switch in the dynamic. Yep. I Willow, this episode, I, w- I really loved her. Her vibe – like outfit-wise, her hair, just yeah. like her fitting in and being happy. I was like, oh, I'm so happy. Yep. Willow looks like she's really thriving. And then we meet Kathy. I'm obsessed with her. I love her so much. <laughs> no, I'm not even joking. She is a normal college student. <laughs> and I will remain impartial on Kathy at this moment. She is of adequate college standing. <laughs> I have zero thoughts and feelings about Kathy the student we, at this moment. We might need to bring the spoilers back because I think Leah's going to combust from not being able to. You talk. know what I think is funny though is that she hangs up a Celine poster, and I'm like, I'm not even going to lie. Like the album is fire. Like why are we acting like this is weird? Like the album is so good. Nineties like Celine is the best. It's so funny because um in the script, Josh says Kathy puts up a Backstreet Boys poster. And they swapped it out. That for makes more sense. Like Backstreet Boys is like okay, 
you know, like having oh, your yeah. boy I band. I will time. say, like, it's Kathy's dorm. Like, she can oh, like hang out with both stars. <laughs> no, really but they're acting as if it's like dorky. Like Celine Dion is right. like very like she's well praised. Celine Dion, they're like, what the frick, guys? Let's go kill vampires in the like in the courtyard. It's like, guys, <laughs> maybe give some grace to someone else's extracurricular time. I will say the most unrealistic part of this episode is the sheer size of that freaking dorm room. I was like, how big are these dorms if like that one – like everybody has that size of a room? I was shocked. Too bad Kathy's fat poster is taking out too much of the room. It was <laughs> yeah. pretty big though. We're not hating on Kathy. Calm I was down. It was a her poster. wow okay but i will say when it cuts nighttime and she was smacking her mouth i wanted to wind my arm up and completely smack her i was like anything to do with mouth noises i just we have a specific um sibling who chews um and when their mouth is closed you can hear the smacking when the mouth is closed jeez tabby i'm right here i didn't say which sibling i'm just saying there's one of us yeah, I, I was going to say, I that's how Leah sleeps at night. Guys, side side note, there was one <laughs> night where I was- I cannot um, be held responsible for any of this. I'm asleep. <laughs> <laughs> there was one night I was in the bedroom and I had to share a room uh, with Leah. Why were you? Oh, I was about and, to say, like, why were you in the room? Okay, let me rephrase that. There was one night that I was coming back to my bedroom. It was over summer break and Leah was, I think you were like eight or nine at the time. And I came in and Leah was like mumbling in her sleep and I was like, Leah, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she goes, don't squish the puppies. <laughs> And she was worried about all the little puppies in her sleep, and it was very, it was very cute. Okay, well, sleep talking and sleep smacking are two different things. Don't be scared. <laughs> Leah has like this um um app Anyways, that in records this, in this puppy episode. Uh, Leah, has, Leah, can we can we like talk about the puppy, please? I know Leah. we're not talking about my sleep anymore. Leah, no, you know I cough once <laughs> throughout the oh. night. Tabby coughs twice every single night. Every single night. She literally will be asleep and she coughs in her sleep. Only twice. Always twice. I have an app that like like monitors my sleep and, and it like records it. sometimes. And every single night I'd be like, what is this? Like, oh my gosh, I need to drink more water. And then I realized it wasn't me. It was Tabby coughing every single night. But it was just too – it was like – and then it's that's never it. once. It's never three times. It's always <laughs> that's twice. It. That's so weird. So weird. It is. I don't know why. All right. So this is the the prof that yells at her. Like, oh my gosh. All right. So funny story about this. Joss actually based this scenario off of an old prof of his, Joe Reed, and he names him, who kicked my friend David out of the class day one in front of 200 kids. Joe is Jeez. cool. <laughs> I feel like this is Joss being petty and getting vengeance for his friend Joe. So poor Buffy, feeling completely and utterly humiliated, walks down the hall and meets the cute guy with the really sweet bangs. The 90s haircut, not the bangs. Sorry. Remember the bangs. <laughs> well, he refers to her as like Willow's friend, which is kind of yes, fun to hear. It is really fun, but it's also – it's it feels so strange. Like this whole episode, you're kind of like, where's Buffy's mojo? Like what's going on? Normally, yeah. she's very cool and collected. Like she even puns a ton while she's slaying. It's, so it's very strange to hear Riley being like, oh, yeah, you're Willow's friend. Like it's just – it's very bizarre. Well, and then she like asks if Walsh is going to yell at her and kick her out of her class – 
And then he just kind of responds with, that's not in their lesson plan. Such like a sweet, affirming way. Yeah. And then we finally meet the infamous meet? Maggie Walsh. Mm-hmm. Like the seventh time heard, we've like, heard about her. <laughs> I know. We're we've like, heard about this girl more than we've heard about any other character. More than we've like heard about Xander. <laughs> yeah. We, we haven't we heard ha- about yeah, Xander. Yeah. We've not even mentioned him this entire episode. Well, they – I think um, they did talk about – like Buffy asked if he – have you heard from Xander? And he was like still on his road trip. But like, you know. And then I feel like this speech that Walsh gives is I could have memorized this and said it on my own. Like I feel like every single professor I had – in college said this exact same speech. Um, They're like, oh, you know, this is not an easy class. You're going to have to work really hard. And like, I I require a lot out of you. And and if I give out an A, that means you have to exceed the minimal expectations. It's not just like a the bare minimum. And like, I really feel like this was um exactly what I've heard. But I also feel like there's this sense of like, this is important. Like, she's saying a lot about maybe – like the character that we're going to learn more about later on in the season or something like because they kind of like do that like slow pan in on her as she's like giving her speech and stuff and remember how in like the the previous three seasons of Buffy we always knew kind of what the theme of the episode was or how important like what was going on around us was by what the teacher was talking about in their class so I don't know it just felt like one of those moments where it was like okay They've mentioned her like 17 times now. They're giving her this nice long opening speech. I feel like we need to like pay attention, you know. And then, and then and then, Buffy's walking around completely lost and she bumps into Baby Mandalorian. I haven't seen The Mandalorian. Have you seen Wonder Woman 2? Nope. All right. Well, this is Baby Mandalorian. It's a shame that you guys haven't seen it, but this is Pedro Pascal, who has really blown up in recent years. He's most famously known for being on The Mandalorian. He played on Narcos, Game of Thrones, but this was his first television role. And it's so crazy seeing him and seeing how small he was and everything. It's just, it's just kind of fun. It's like a little fun trip down memory lane. And I gotta say, Eddie is so sweet. I'm so sad. You know, we only have like one scene of him just being Eddie. And they really, really ramp it up and make you think that he's gonna be the next love interest. Like when they part ways at the end of this the scene, there's like the sweet piano music that starts playing right before he runs into Sunday. And I was like, Oh, is this a new theme? Like new love interest? And then it's like (laughs) that's so mean. That's what I thought. And then I was like, dang it, I liked Eddie, man. They had really good chemistry and stuff too. It's funny because in interviews, Pedro Pascal, he he jokes around a lot, but there's an interview where he's talking about how he was like, I think I would have made a great love interest for Buffy. And he talks about how like he's like Eddie and Buffy like clicked really well. And he like jokes about See, how he like This is when you died. pull a James Marsters and give so much yes. charisma so in they the keep you three around. scenes you have. I'd be like, So Buffy, where are you going? And then Josh has to be like, Okay. <laughs> Um, dial it back a little bit, but we like it. <laughs> and then you don't <laughs> die. So there you go. Yes. There are so many good characters in this episode that were killed off. And I'm so sad because I feel like Sunday would have been Sunday so Sunday would have cool. been so cool. Yeah. And her totally. fighting style was so sick. Yeah. I agree. I agree. The biggest waste of the episode. Also, like real fast before we leave Eddie, I was dying because the way that he introduces himself, he's like, Eddie, Edward. I mean, Edward, but I aspire to be Eddie. And it's funny because I feel like everyone gets into college and they try to reinvent themselves. And our yeah. brother David, for instance, <laughs> he had so an identity name- crisis in like sophomore year of high school. Right. 
He's like, he got, I could just imagine this. This didn't happen. I don't even remember how he even brought it up to us. But I can just imagine him sitting down in like an alternate universe and be like, all right, family. His voice has dropped like two octaves now. And he's like, so I know you've all been calling me David your whole life. Um, I've decided <laughs> my name is now uh, Brian. And then all of us be like, okay, David. <laughs> all right. And then walk away. Our brother's full name is Brian David Gibson Jr. And but my parents or our parents decided to call him David to not confuse him with our father. And then somewhere in college, in high school, he decided he was going to be called Brian. And like we were like, sorry, dude, we've called you David for the past fifteen years. There's no way we're going to change now. I'm sorry. So it yeah, just no, we me never up. did. Yep. Nope, we never did. Yep. And now you guys call him Dave. So <laughs> perfect. <laughs> <laughs> So these vamps really are doing the most in this episode. They go in, they take out everyone's stuff in the dorm room. That would be They're the not worst quiet. gig. They're so loud. No, this would be the worst gig. As a vampire, I'd be like, I'm, I'm not going to be in this clan anymore. I'm going to go rogue. I'm I like, not feel I like kill some people? Can I go eat? Some? I don't feel like packing up everyone's stuff. Like, that sounds horrible. That's like the worst. For real. I feel like – I understand why this was here, but I feel like this plan – is just not great. So like, why don't they just go into people's rooms and eat them? Why do they go into people's rooms and make it look like they're leaving? So that people won't go looking for them, I guess? I think, yeah, I think it's just that they don't want, like, any suspicions. Yeah. I mean, I think they're trying to show, like, these vampires are very, um, like, materialistic. They just enjoy playing with people and stuff. And I think they're supposed to be kind of a metaphor for um, – a new kind of bully and everything, but it just didn't seem very thought out. You're like, okay, well, all right, you do you then. So the next day, Buffy's looking for her new friend, Eddie. This is so sad. He's like her one friend that she's made at college. He doesn't show up. So she goes to look for him in his room and the RA's like, yeah, he just took off, packed his stuff, left a note. You know, some people can't handle it. And he's like, the weak ones, I guess. I was like, dang, man, you definitely weren't picked to be an RA for your sympathy. Like as someone who was an RA, I'm like, man, throw him out. Also, it's really interesting because in the conversation where Eddie's talking about like having security blankets and he talks about the book of human bondage, it's written by W. Somerset Magum, and it was originally published in 1915 as a classic tale of sexual obsession and a man's hunger for freedom, which is really interesting, especially because um, Eddie turning into a vampire and him telling Buffy, I'm not sorry that I was changed and stuff, because in a lot of ways, it's almost as if that was Eddie's inner desire was to be free um, like he is as a vampire. So I thought that was kind of like an interesting – like Eddie had his own like tiny little arc in the span of two scenes. So in the vamp house, we see poor Eddie was turned and passed out on the couch. And the vamps are going through all of uh, – it seems like it's Eddie's stuff. Um, yeah, Right in front is. of him. How insulting. Yeah. His body hasn't even cooled yet. Um, And then they pull out like this climped – artwork that he had in his room which apparently was very popular during the time that and um is it monet yes monet okay so they have like a tally chart and apparently um clipped is uh coming up the rear um which is funny funny. like they gotta be so bored because they keep asking like sunday like hey can we take the tunnels and she's like no i'm the boss you can't do that um sunday gives me a huge like early 2000s Kate Hudson vibes. Did you guys get that too? Dude, yes. Every time I see her, I think, yes. oh my gosh, baby Mandalorian was killed by Kate Hudson. Like, yep, no, for she real. seriously no, looks totally like her. Makes sense. Well, it also like you take into consideration the time and the icons that were popular around this mm-hmm. time and it makes sense. 
But she just her mannerisms, even how she talks, yeah. like she I literally had to look up IMDB the first time I saw him was like, this has got to be Kate Hudson. It's not yeah. like they could be twins, literal twins. Yeah. Um, it's the mannerisms and her mouth, the way that she speaks. Yeah. I love that they named her Sunday because there's just so much of a metaphor there that just the idea of a vampire being named Sunday and then like Sunnydale and like just how she's kind of Buffy's antithesis in this um, in this episode. It's very cool. Well, but also like I kind of view it as Sunday is like either the end of the week or the start of the week. Mm-hmm. And so in a season where everything's brand new, is it oh. the end of something or is it the start of something? Nice, and you kind Abby. of you kind of get like a whiplash between like, is this a good episode? Is Buffy like gonna be changing in a new way, or is like Buffy gonna be kind of like not knowing who she is? And so I feel like having Sunday is a good like representation of because totally. there's huge debates over like if Sunday is the first day of the week or if Monday is right. Um, so I like yeah. that she's called Sunday in that aspect as well. And the original storyline for the character of Sunday was that she was a former slayer turned vampire. They call them slave. Oh, I wish. I Which, wish. Oh, it is such a missed opportunity. I wish they did that. Yeah. Well, Joss Whedon has also mentioned his regret of killing her off so quickly as he admitted she made for an interesting character. He says but that by the time that he realized it, it was too late and they couldn't do it. But man, she would have been really interesting to keep along. And I mean, the idea of a slayer that turns into a vampire, that must be a pretty strong vampire. And I, I think it would also help with explaining why Sunday is able to kick Buffy's butt so easily in this episode. That's my – I think that's my biggest beef with the episode is like, yes, I understand Buffy is off mentally, but the turnaround, it's literally like her powers are gone. Like, she's as weak as she was in – um Oh, in um, Helpless? Yeah, she's like almost as weak as that one. And I'm like, I just feel like it was a little bit too dramatic of a Yeah, I kind turnover. of agree. I mean, we obviously know it's supposed to be the idea of like Buffy doesn't believe in herself. Buffy doesn't have people to support her and stuff like that. But it it definitely did feel very drastic. I think they could have gone a little less hard. Also, I do want to acknowledge that there is some pretty severe fat shaming in this episode. Prophecy Girls has done a really good job of talking about it. So I don't feel like I need to say too much about it. But I recognize that Sunday is the villain and all, but I think you still have to be so careful. Um, and so I think that it's just – it's it's so hard. And I want to recognize that the, the 90s and the early 2000s were a horrendous time when it came to body image. As someone who was Genuinely. growing up and yep. was in high school during those times, I mean, the styles were only – conducive for people who are extremely thin. Um, it was very hard to find clothing. It still is very hard to find clothing that is body inclusive. Um, and media was very, very um, particular and only choosing very, very skinny girls for roles. And it is so hard as someone who is not that way to like look for that representation in a show that you love so much and then to hear 
somebody bashing on someone who looks like you and saying that they are fat. And I think that it is so important to recognize that that's not okay, that that is a huge problem, that not only does Buffy struggle with being racially inclusive, but also when it comes to um, being body size inclusive as well. And so I think that, um, yeah, it just, it rubs me the wrong way every time that I, I listen to it. No, I feel you, Sarah. I think that Yes, it's coming from the villain, but when we don't get any positive affirmation exactly. from the heroine, it it's pretty much like that's the only message we're getting. Or when we don't see that representation in literally anybody we see on screen here, they're all white and thin, you know? So it's, there's just no inclusivity. Um, and it's, it's so important. And that's something I really feel like I'm loving seeing so much inclusivity on our screens these days. Like I think specifically of Euphoria, I think um, there's just been some great representation recently. And yeah, I think that's worth mentioning. And and without giving too much away, it is a major, major problem later on in the show with some other actresses that come on that were extremely bullied because they did not fit the mold. They were not fat by any means. Um, They were very, very normal and healthy, beautiful women that were torn apart by fans because they did not fit the stereotypical thin role that most other women did on the show. So I just want to point it out now to set the precedent. Well, that's the product of its time in a bad sense, not like in a good sense. But like, I just think of like Lisa Kudrow has like gone on record to say that she just felt like a whale next to um, the two leading ladies and friends. And she is absolutely stunning like i all three of the women are beautiful but like lisa i just was like anytime she's on screen she's so like charismatic and beautiful but like like all the girls are just so beautiful and normal and like that just makes me so sad yeah totally and it it's so sad it but it also is encouraging to see how far we have come. We're not definitely not the end of the road. I still think there's work to be done, but I think it is encouraging to look back and be like, wow, it's so nice to see people that look like me on television, you know? Um, also, I want to say the vamp effects have gotten so good. When Sunday's face flipped from being normal to vamp to back again in there one is shot. A huge improvement. I mean, even if you yes. think about like season one like how slow those transitions were like yeah (laughs) leaps and bounds yeah darla like when she literally like drops a a foot (laughs) yeah it's just crazy all right so sunday lets it slip that she's like i think that we're gonna let eddie go get our next dinner and we're like oh no eddie is actually a vampire So Buffy is going to find some sort of comfort. And I love that the first place she decides to go and look up is Giles, who I'm like, we're missing you, Giles. Where are you? I know. Finally, it's taken so long. And he has uh, David Bowie's memory of a free festival playing really loudly in his apartment. And this stunning stunning woman comes out and I love that she's like Rupert is this blue cheese or it just cheese that's gone blue because I feel like if I was at someone else's house and I was looking for cheese that'd be the question that I asked so this actress her name I'm probably going to butcher it but it's Fina Aruche or Aruch something like that 
She says, I knew Tony Head before being on the show. We have studied together before at acting class. I am an admirer of his work. He's a fabulous actor. And then we had also read a play together at one point. We had mentioned trying to find some material to work on for the class. It never panned out. Funnily enough, he wanted to put my name forward for this role, but was at home in England. And so by the time he got through to Joss with the information, the role had been cast and he trusted Joss's choice. It is a wonderful thing to know that it was meant to be and quite flattering that he remembered me at the time the opportunity came up. So Anthony or Tony actually had her in mind for the role. And then unbeknownst to him, she auditioned for the role, got cast by Joss, and then they met up and were like, hey, they already knew each other and everything, oh, which I, that's so I think is really cool. Yeah. This is hilarious. Buffy, her expression when she sees Olivia is just completely horrified. <laughs> well, I mean, he's literally like her father figure. And so it's like seeing him with someone that she like has never met. She's probably like, what the heck? Like, Giles, you have like a sex life? Yeah, right. Well, we're all we're all thinking it too because we're all discovering it at the exact same time. But the fact that he like comes out with his dressing gown, we're like, and he's completely comfortable in front of Buffy. I'm like, what happened to Giles? Where did you put him? What's going on? I remember watching that scene for the first time and being genuinely grossed out. Like I was like, I do not be, want to be watching this. Like everything that Buffy's feeling and everything that we're supposed to be feeling as a viewer. I felt to the 10th degree of first time watching this episode. I was like, I hate this. And obviously, it gets the tone gets a little bit better. The first episode's supposed to be kind of like that, especially out of high school. But I was like, Giles having a sex life? Please, God, I do not want to see that. We're all still reeling from Jenny. We're like, no, not ready for this. No, but literally, I will I'm say. like, Giles, stop cheating on Jenny. <laughs> and Jenny's ghost is still hovering over there somewhere. I will say, though, Olivia seems really cool. I really like her, and I hope we see more of her. <laughs> and then Olivia leaves to give them a minute, and Buffy's like, well, it looks pretty bad. I think someone had just a little too much free time on their hands. And Giles is like, I'm not supposed to have a private life. And she's like, no, because you're very, very old, and it's gross. <laughs> And we have this really sweet exchange. And it's so interesting because you can tell that Giles is trying to put distance between himself and Buffy to the extent that he wants her to kind of grow up and mature. But like you can tell that Buffy, and I 100% understand what she's thinking here. She's coming in for help. She doesn't quite understand that he's trying to allow her to grow up. And so she thinks she's bothering him. She feels bad. And so she leaves without really fully clarifying. And Giles, feels guilty about it. And I it's a totally understandable miscommunication. And I, I've been there. I get it. We all know I'm the type of person where I'm like, if I feel at all that I'm inconveniencing or bothering someone. Yep. That's all of I'm us. Gone. Uh -huh. I'm gone. Yeah. All it takes you will never hear from me again. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, yeah. I'm gone. I'm gone. Yep. Exactly. And I like, that's how I felt Buffy was in this moment. And then the whole Olivia's like, so did you help her out? And Giles, I'm not sure. Giles is wrestling. He's like, how how do I do this? Do I continue to be her watcher the way that she wanted me to? Do I take a step back? It's, it's just very interesting. I also noticed, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but Buffy's wardrobe so far in this episode has been very similar to, at least in vibe, to early season three. Like the darker tones and the like um, heavier materials from the later end of season three are gone and she's back to her more florals, preppy, pastels. Well, and I will say that her wardrobe in season four is very mature, but not in like a, oh, boring, like 
she looks like she's gonna go to you know work type of thing but she just looks like she's in college like she looks older she looks like more put together and um and I like it I I actually really like her wardrobe in season three I think Tabby doesn't like it but I like it hello what I like it (laughs) Tabby detests it like um (laughs) I just said it was cute I like 2000s her her wardrobe her hair and her style feels very southern california girl to me like and maybe that's just because we're starting to enter into the era of like how old I was when I started wearing stuff like this um I feel like Buffy season three she's dressing kind of like upper east side like very preppy and then here it's very it's more laid back and casual well you want to know what it is what it's is it the flip-flops yes i know i saw that and i was like there it, it is, is. The fl- it's the, the chunky flip-flops and it, mm-hmm. it's chunky flip-flops and it's the big bag it's the big bag but she's also got the the jeans with the floral um embroidery on it too which is like something i wore and then her hair is also very straight it feels very california girl to me but i know she looks yeah. so cute with the long I hair i love it like and she's got the tan too which yeah. i think is also a part of it so then buffy sees eddie I was so worried something had happened to you, and of course it did because you're a vampire. Like at this point, she isn't even surprised. And she says, I'm sorry to him. Oh, and he says, I'm not. You can now act out his favorite book. And she says, You will be. She stakes him so quickly, too. I was like, I Oh, Eddie. So well, I, I think she's, she's been through so much that at this point, she's like, Nah, I've already been through Let what me it's do like quick. to be in yeah. love with like a vampire who rampages. She's like, I'm not going through that. Like, and so I think it's one of those things where she knows, like, okay, he's a vampire now. There's nothing I can do. Stake him quick. Yeah, there goes our epic love story that could have been, man. And then Sunday. Oh, I will say, okay, this might be a bit off topic, but I've always thought about this. Now that Willow knows the spell to restore souls into vampires. Don't you think the ethical thing would be trying to restore each soul into a vampire? I have to thought try about and this. See if yes. they choose good before you need just a, a, staking them. A thorb of a, a thessels or whatever that a, is. A thorb of Essel, a thessel. Yes, that's what it is. Yes, it's exactly. They're as common as paperweights. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're normally sold as paperweights. I don't know if they're super common. Wow, yeah, um, you remember the detail from like I am early so impressed. <laughs> and you're asking really intelligent questions. Wow, guys, this guys. is the season of change. Feminists. <laughs> I got a ward off the Three dimensional uh, shadow beams. self comment at the beginning. <laughs> Tabby and Leah have now absorbed and meshed, and we'll be seeing We are now thing. different I'm people with a, different opinions. I'm not even thoughts. a shadow self. Me and Tabby are just one combined person. <laughs> Sometimes feels that way. No, that is actually a really Hello? a really good question. <laughs> um, what were we saying? Oh yeah. No, that's a really good point. And that's something I've thought about. I think the implication is that that spell took a toll on Willow and like Giles was warning her because it's kind of darker-ish magics. So if Willow was to do it repeatedly, it would take a toll on her. But yeah, I don't know. I feel like that should have been something we should have seen him. We should have seen them discuss it the very least because it seems kind of ethical. All right. For me personally, this next scene is very hard to watch and I do not like it. I kind of sit there with my hands over my eyes the entire time because I don't like seeing Buffy so wailed on and Sunday drives me nuts. The stylistic choice for Sunday, I just can't quite wrap my brain around. She kind of just looks like a really... She looks like a porcupine is what her hair looks like to me. 
I kind of like it though. She she kind of embodies the early two thousands punk rock vibe, which I the, like the spirit because of it's Kate completely <laughs> well, but it's completely opposite Buffy's like preppy, uh, like yes. California girl vibe. Yeah, no, it totally is. Uh, and then the the guy's name is Rookie. He's like, are we going to fight or is there just going to be a monster sarcasm rally? Like, I don't know. I know he annoyed Tabby to no end, but I thought he was just like the funniest thing. The script says, after Buffy says everyone gets to play, it says she's putting on an act. She's actually unnerved by the odds here and Sunday can smell it. And then we have the whole fight where Buffy just literally gets wailed on. Um, and uh, did you see that one point where she's like on top of the car and Sunday like grabs her arm and her wrist? I legit was like, she's going to have a broken arm after this. I know. It, it was like it a hurt. crazy fight. The stunt doubles did a very, very good job. Like it was actually, it was very interesting to watch, but it was hard and painful to watch Buffy go through it. All Things Philosophical says Buffy has always been an emotional fighter. Her emotions are what drive her. If she's confused and insecure, that's going to show through in her fighting. And so while it is hard to watch and it's kind of like, okay, why is Buffy so weak? I think we saw how in Anne, when Buffy was ready to fight and when she stood up, she like wailed on people. So I think it makes sense that if she's feeling insecure and she's feeling the opposite of that, she's going to be super weak. Um, and so I kind of like that there is, they show both sides of that. And so it kind of makes sense for where we're at in the episode. So Buffy turns and runs away, which is something we have not seen since helpless. And it's really, really hard to watch, especially coming off of graduation day when she's literally at her peak. Yeah. Oh, and then we, you know, we have the whole montage of Buffy sitting um, on her bed, hearing <laughs> Kathy sleep and snorting and making teeth grindy noises, as Joss says in the in the script. And then she sees Willow and Oz across the quad, totally like loving life, and she looks pretty beat up and bruised. And I, it's just yeah, once again, hard to see. So Buffy definitely feeling very down in the dumps goes back home, which I don't think we as viewers expected her to be back home in the first episode. Like I forget that she pops back in. Like when she went back home, I was like, oh yeah, like she goes to see Joyce. Um, But the fact that she wanted to like take a nap and like feel restful in her own like Mm -hmm. child at home was so sad to me. Yeah. Well, and then I I remember this first feeling. I remember like, and I don't necessarily have like the biggest attachment to my home because we like moved and then it wasn't like I was like, oh, I have so many memories. Like, yes, but like I always knew that it was there. And I have a lot of siblings. But I remember when I don't remember if it was oh, it was um the sister in between Leah and I um took over my room after a few months. And I came back in and I remember just being like, Oh, like this isn't like my space anymore. Like that kind of sucks. Have a place anymore. Yeah. So like having her walk in and see all like the boxes and crates and like mm-hmm. And then she was like, oh, I didn't think you'd be back so soon. And Buffy's like, neither did I. And like, that's just so sad. Um, And then she walks into the kitchen and the phone rings, which we know is Angel calling from his episode, which I feel like is my favorite small detail of the episode. Not just because like they're calling each other, but the fact that they're showing us that like, even though Angel has his own show, he's still connected to the show of Buffy. Not necessarily like Buffy and Angel. Yes, that's 
another side, but it's like, hey, like we're in this together. We're in the same world together. I love that you just tie that in. Like there's like the Angel series and there's the Buffy series and we're in the same world. Yeah. And the fact that both of them are still thinking about each mm-hmm. other without having to make it this huge thing. Like they're still they're still able to go along their separate ways um, while acknowledging that they are still important to each other. Also, they have their theme music play very, very briefly in this scene and it's really, really beautiful. I love knowing that even when Buffy is having a bad day, Angel's also having a bad day. Like yeah. in, in a way they're still tied. And that's something that like I'm so excited to talk about with Angel the series because even though it doesn't always happen like at the exact same time, Buffy and Angel's arcs are so similar. Like when Angel's going through something, Buffy also will either eventually go through it or she's already gone through it before. Like um, there's a lot of parallels in their journeys and it's just – it's very, very cool and very intentional. So – Well, and then Buffy goes to another comfort of hers, which is the bronze. And speaking of Angel, she looks around and she thinks she sees Angel and the guy turns around and it's a different guy. But that is 100% actually David Boreanaz, correct? Yes, that is David Boreanaz. Yeah. And then the other guy looks like Will Ferrell. (laughs) When he turns around, I thought it was Will Ferrell for a minute. And I was like, I must be seeing things because I'm like – That would honestly be the funniest gag. No, genuinely. It would be like like David Boreanaz and then it's like like Brad Pitt. And is he supposed to be like a normal high schooler? That'd be the funniest thing ever. And they don't explain it at all. They don't. Yeah, they just move on. (laughs) It's so funny. You're like, wait a minute. It's like Jim Carrey and he's like smiling all creepily and they just just move on. (laughs) It's Eddie in vamp form. No. Okay. So this moment is really, really cool um, because – so you have a song played by Splendid. It's called You and Me. And Splendid actually performed a song at the Bronze in I Only Have Eyes for You, which coincidentally is the episode that they that Joss first decided that David should have his own spinoff. Um, and the angle of Buffy walking through the bronze in this moment, especially as it kind of pans down and you see her turn around and everyone's kind of coupled up as she's walking through the bronze, really, really reminded me of her dream in Surprise when she's walking through the bronze and she feels very alone and um, she sees everyone around her and she stops and then she turns and then she sees Angel walking towards her and suddenly she doesn't feel so alone. And I think this is supposed to be kind of a mirror of that because it's also directed by Joss where she's in the bronze again. She's feeling lonely. She stops. She turns around and she thinks she sees Angel but she doesn't. And then she's reminded that she is alone. Um, And I thought that was like a really interesting parallel, except for the jump scare that is Xander that (laughs) happens in the literal next moment. (laughs) Could you imagine you're like wishing to see Angel and then it's just Xander right there? (laughs) I will say it's weird having Xander pop up this late. It's so Mm -hmm. weird. I forgot he existed. I was kind of okay with him not being here for a while. Well, I was about to say, I was like, Speaking of whiplash, like, um, do I like Xander? Question mark. Like, yes, he was great in this episode. I, I know I'm bashing him, but honestly, I was totally like, I this have no is the Xander that we need. Like, he's supposed to be like the quote unquote heart, right? I haven't seen much of that. Um, you're one job. <laughs> you're a literal one. You're job. one job. <laughs> um, but like, like these are the type of conversations I expect from the heart of the group, you know. Um, and this yes. is like what two out of two that we've gotten <laughs> so far so like maybe maybe we're turning a corner maybe this is a new hopefully. and improved xander because like, i'm here for it but again like speaking of whiplash i'm like hello is this buffy like i just forget the turnover 
after like the Zeppo with um, Xander's character. He mentions that he started driving and then the engine fell out of his car and then he started working as a dishwasher at a a stripper (laughs) club. He mentions this stripper thing like three or four times and I was like, Of course he does. He's Xander. Are you like low-key proud of this? Because like of he is. you yes. sound like you. Yes. Yes. But his but his masculinity would be like, you know, emasculated for right. lack of a better word. If he exposed details, but he is very proud of it. Yeah, he's very conflicted because you can tell he wants to be proud of it, but then there's a part of them that's like, oh, I'm gonna get shamed for it, so I shouldn't say it. Yeah, it's just it was funny. Well, she mentioned Sunday and how she doesn't know how to defeat her. And then she has this whole dialogue where she's like, I just don't Maybe I was Buffy in high school, um, but I don't feel like her anymore. And it's like we've all had moments like that when you kind of get out of, I guess, like, I mean, for me, it wasn't necessarily right after high school because I didn't feel like myself in high school at all. I feel like one-tenth of a person in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, Buffy is supposed to be kind of like the stand-in in this moment, not necessarily Buffy herself, but the stand-in for people who felt like they kind of, for lack of a better term, peaked or felt like they were alive in high school. Um, and then now we're in college and are just having a really hard time because it's new people, new environment, new classes. You just feel like you don't know who you are. You know, you have to start all over again. And it's like, you're like, I don't even know how to be the person I was because the person that I thought I was was shaped by the people that were around me, not who I actually am. And I don't think that's what Buffy is going through necessarily, but like there's so many things and situations and speeches that are given in Buffy that can be a stand in for us. So I love that she got this dialogue and I love how Xander responds to it. And he says, the point is you're Buffy. And he's telling her that like all this is his fear it's understandable, but you can't let it control you, which is such an important thing for all of us to learn. I also do feel like if anyone in the group can speak a little bit about courage, I do think it is mm-hmm. Xander. Like, mm-hmm. yes, Buffy too. Buffy is very courageous, but I also do think Xander is. So I feel like him telling her to have a little courage isn't extremely hypocritical because I do think that Xander is a very courageous character. More than what Xander is saying to her, which I think is incredibly needed and incredibly sweet. I would just like to say that the subtleties in Buffy looking down and then him squatting to her eyesight was the most endearing thing I've seen in a long time. Like getting to someone's level when they're feeling low and kind of like reaching down to them being like, hey, if you're not going to be my eyesight, I'm going to come to you um, and I'm going to meet you where you're at. It's like it's a subtle body language way of saying like, okay, if you can't get to me, I'm going to come to you um, and I'm going to have this conversation when you're feeling this way and that's fine. Like I'll, I'll squat, I'll reach your level, I'll help carry you emotionally through this time because you have for me. And like Leah said, like I feel like this speech felt way more weighted coming out of Xander's mouth than I feel like it would have with Willow or even Giles mm-hmm. um, because Xander is constantly – we saw that in season three specifically where he felt like his identity was kind of all over the place. Like he wasn't dating anyone. He had sex for the first time. Like he felt like he didn't have any integral part in the group. So I feel like this was an important moment for his character as well. Um, and I just I just love what he says. 
I echo everything you said, Tabs. You said very well. I think the fact that he's the most normal one of the Scoobies, he's the most human, and he has I mean, the, the Zeppo was literally all about him feeling like an outsider. And for him to come here and encourage Buffy, I think is doubly impactful because we know Xander has experienced these feelings. And so like we're able to see the empathy that he has with Buffy. We've seen it before. So yeah, this is just this is a great moment and a great way to start off season four if Xander is gonna be like this um for the rest of the season and also like shows mm-hmm. growth. And I'm loving the growth we're seeing with all of the characters so far. I am here for it, here for it. But the fact that he's also able to say what us as fans really long to stay in front of Buffy by yes, just saying, like, right? what would Buffy do? Like, Buffy, you're my hero. I love that he says that. Like, it's been four seasons and, like, someone calling Buffy their hero in a moral sense. This is not talking about Buffy's abilities. This is talking about who Buffy is. Like, that's what she needs to hear. Not being like, you're strong enough. You can be hurt. It's more of like a, you're allowing fear to dictate you and you're better than that. Not your strength. Not anything else. So where are they after this scene? Are they back in the library? Like, where, where is this? Um, yeah, I know. I was really confused. The script says they're in the administration office. So they're using oh, – They did they, not clarify that. <laughs> they did not clarify. I was like, where are we? Like, what is going on? Yeah, they go um, – it says in the script, a portion of the door has been punched out and is ajar. So they broke into the administration office to use the computers. They really need to find like a new center of operations because this ain't going to work long term here, kids. When they look through old newspapers and they find the place where the vamps might be staying. I don't know how this works, but sure, we'll go with it. Well, they look up like when the kids started disappearing, the freshmen, and then Xander links it to when they the zoning and they lost their charter because they were going to create a new dorm. And then they just decided to leave this like mostly built dorm like on campus somewhere. But the hilarious thing is when they actually go to the dorm room, it's very clearly the old mausoleum that says Alpert on it, just kind of like with some graffiti on it and a different door. (laughs) It's cracked me up. I was like, that's familiar. That hasn't changed. I recognize that. Like, you can't fool me. Fools everyone but Sarah. Sarah's like, it's so obvious, you guys. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Well, and then the skylight is even the same one that the master fell through and that we saw in um, choices that they lowered Buffy down. They just kind of like tilted it up a little bit. Well, I think that one is a little bit more disguised because the angle was a little bit different different. this time. Yeah. 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 I was like, I see you guys. I know that it's still the same (laughs) skylight, but like, I know that you're trying to make it look different. It looks just different enough. Yay. Clap, 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 clap. Well done, set department. It looks different. (laughs) Well, Buffy's like resting exactly on the skylight. I'm like, girl, I see where this is going. I'm mile ahead. And all of a sudden, her arm starts hurting again. Like, she's been using it like the past few uh, scenes, and now she's like holding it again just as a reminder that, oh, Buffy's going to be in a fight in a second. We need to remind her that she's not at full strength. Buffy's looking down them, looking through her clothes, and they find Mr. Gordo, and they start reading through her diary. She tells Xander to go and get the weapons because um, she doesn't know where the box is or her chest is. And then um, Xander leaves and Buffy falls through. Shocker. I like that she's like making commentary and she's like, hey, that's my favorite skirt. 
And then Mr. Gordo, get your filthy. Oh. And then she's like, my diary. Like, I just like the little things that they keep talking about. They mention Mr. Pointy. They talk about, like, the diary is kind of a uh, nod back to when Angel was trying to read her diary and Ted was reading her diary. More Mr. Gordo, when Angel was holding Mr. Gordo. Like, there's just like a lot of little things there that kind of point back to um, really important moments in Buffy's life. And I, I kind of like that. I think the fans needed little little moments like that. And I think it's important to bring up those things because then it's like talking about growing out of a lot of those um, security blankets as her and Eddie talked about earlier on in the episode. So she falls through and Sunday's kind of like making fun of her, saying that she has a broken arm and no weapons of any kind. How she can get out of this one? The scene. <laughs> Back in the dorm room, um, Oz and Willow are talking to Kathy and they're like weirded out by the fact that Buffy let a left note because it didn't seem like Buffy. And I thought it was interesting that Oz was like, I was this doesn't say, look like your handwriting. Like how in the world yeah. would you know? Like I've said before, I think that Oz is secretly her number one fan. I think that he, he – You've just, said that like, before? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, yeah, like, I, I always has. say this. <laughs> yeah, I have. No, she definitely has. It was in the prom when he was talking about like Buffy's got it. Buffy has it to Willow when she was like worried. Like I totally think that Oz – He's just very – he's not only self-aware, he's aware of what's going on around him. So like he's tried to comfort Buffy in this episode and reassure her that she's not alone even though like he's very clearly like in his element. I don't know. I just – I'm a big fan of Oz. Kathy asks if uh, Buffy has mental problems. <laughs> she's like, I specifically wrote down, I cannot have a roommate with mental problems. <laughs> As if they tell them though someone has mental problems unless they're like – I don't even know what they would even disclose them for because a lot of it is like confidential. Yeah, right. That Will goes in this like spiral being like, oh, the, you know, there were circumstances last time when she, you know, left town for months and changed her name and everything about her. Oz is like, let's think this through. And Will is like, oh, no, she left. She totally ditched again. And then Xander like runs in. He's like, gives Kathy a big hug and then freezes and is like, wait a minute. I don't know you, do I? <laughs> oh, it was a prank. You know, the friends who sleep all day and have no tans. And they're like, oh, that's right. Which is such a funny <laughs> way of explaining. I love it. I love it. It's so good. Then they find the chest. Well, Xander goes, well, they took the chest and realizes, okay, so the weapons are actually there. And then it like we're clued into, okay, Buffy can get to her weapons then. Oh, and then this just hurts my freaking soul. Yep. Every time. Every time. Oh, Sunday takes the umbrella, which I feel like I understand it. I get why they I I get why they had it. Like I feel like they had to. And it's not like it was completely broken. She could tip it back together, but I think it's supposed to symbolize and I think we all know what symbolizes. You know, it's like those moments where you feel really high and then sometimes things can feel really up and you're in the moment and you're getting affirmation and that's not necessarily how life is. It's not gonna stay like that forever. You're gonna go through ups and downs. And so in an episode, basically like three episodes after that, Buffy's at a really low and sometimes people aren't just going to be there to notice everything you do. And that's okay. Yeah. That's not the reason why we do good things. It's not the reason why we keep trudging on. But to see it happen in front of us, just like her snapping it, I was like, oh, like, I, I just yeah. wanted to kill her. I literally was like the entire collective Buffy fandom gasps in horror probably as soon as they see that. You're literally taking the most beloved item mm -hmm. From the most beloved episode and your snap. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, it definitely does kind of shake you into being like, mm -hmm. all right, new season, new enemies, like yeah. new territory. 
I don't know. All I'm thinking is mm, Sunday got to go. Sunday got to die. Honestly, if I were Buffy, she's like, she's like, oh, what about this? I'd be like, I don't know. I think my mom gave that to me. I think as if it's so stupid. I'm like, I don't even, that's not even mine. I think that's hers. And she's like, okay, throws it away. I'm like, oh. Seriously. Freaking out. Because she's like, oh, you don't want to touch that. And then, of course, that makes her want to step on it. Like, come on, Buffy. She, like, holds her arm up one more time, keeps cracking it more, saying that she's, like, going to break her other arm. And then Buffy goes, you want to know the truth? I only need one. And then yanks up her right arm and gives her the biggest uppercut I've ever seen. Finally. Ugh. It felt like sweet, sweet revenge, man. Well, and then this time she's like wailing on her too. I was like, yes, girl. Throw her around the room. Rookie's over there like, this is starting to suck. <laughs> oh, well, and then she like kicks up a bunch of like huge debris and then uh-huh. like whacks her in the face. I was like, Dang, ouch. Those yeah. are big pieces of wood. And then uh, and then the door bursts open and Xander, Will, and Oz like rush in. And I really love how the gang, like even Willow, like she was struggling with the crossbow for a second, but all of them seem a lot more efficient in what they're doing. Like they, they've definitely done this like many, many times before. I really, really enjoyed that. I would never want a crossbow, especially if we're in close quarters. Like what if I actually like <laughs> – it's like in um- – Robin Hood, and he's like, got my my hand on old Betsy, and then he was like, sure. <laughs> well, I was thinking of what's that episode in season two? Oh, it's Ted, where Jenny accidentally shoots uh-huh. Giles in the butt. The <laughs> oh, I thought it was in the. Kidneys. That would make and more he, sense. Yeah, he like pulls it out of his side and stabs the vampire with it. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh, I miss Jenny and Giles. I know. I'm getting all nostalgic. We're only in season four. Marty like. The good old days. And I love how she brings back and goes like, um, when you look back on this in three seconds when I beat you, you'll understand that your mistake was touching my stuff. And she brings <laughs> back full circle for like the mistake. She's like, oh, statistically speaking, um, everyone makes one mistake. And then she brings back. She's like, no, nah, the mistake was touching my stuff. That was your yeah. mistake. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I love it. I love it. Well, and like you see like Xander get his moment of staking one vamp. And then you see Willow having her moment of – crossbowing i guess a vamp and like oz is just there for moral support but this is exactly what we need we need to see buffy get her strength back but we also need to see the gang be there for her yeah i know that like everyone's favorite moment in this like episode is when she spins it which is such a sick shot but my favorite part is when she punches sunday really hard with her hurt arm and says for the record the arm is hurt not broken which i feel like is such a it feels like it should be cheesy, but like I just really love it because it's like it's like symbolic of where her emotions are at. She's like, I'm not broken. I'm hurting now, but like it'll heal. I'll be okay. And I can still fight through it. And I love that they do that. My favorite part was after she throws the stake at Sunday, they keep the same shot as she kind of goes out of frame. And the first thing she does is go over and pick up the umbrella and try mm-hmm. and like hold it as she goes out of shot. And I just love that. And it's so sweet because I think at the end of the day, like Buffy is strongest when she has her friends with her, but she's still completely capable of doing it on her own. Like I think it was so important that we saw her get her mojo back before the gang came back because I think it would be easy to be like, oh, it's because everybody's around her that she feels powerful. Like Buffy had to find her own two feet before everyone came Mm -hmm. back and them just coming in is just the icing on the cake, you know? Then the whole gang kind of walks out with all of Buffy's boxes and Buffy's holding the box with the umbrella on top. 
And then Giles comes running and he's like, I've been awake all night. I know I, w- I was supposed to teach you self-reliance, but I can't leave you out there to fight alone. The hell with what's right. I'm ready to back you up. Let's fight the evil and fight it Giles. together. Giles. I love that at the end of the day, he just he's like, forget it. I'm going to help. I miss you. I, well, and, I and then you. everyone just continues walking. He's like, the, the evil is this way. He's just oh, so endearing. He's so, so pure. He has like no idea what's going on. He's like, oh. Yeah, but he's still there. He still showed up to help. I love that that we have the gang back together again. It didn't feel like – and I think that's part of what makes this episode, I think, not a lot of people's favorites is because the gang is very separated the entire episode. We don't have them all together until the very, very end. Um, and so it feels a little bit more like home, like what we're familiar with at the very end when they're – when they're all in the final shot. Well, and then Xander asks, so college is not so scary after all. And Buffy says, it's turning out to be a lot like high school, which I can handle. At least I know what to expect, which is true. I feel like most life is like that. You're like, Mm -hmm. it's all just of the same. People are selfish and stupid. And there are brave people who come along who genuinely love you. And then crappy things happen. And you just have to learn how to get through it. And then we end the episode with the vamp that got away from the vamp house is running outside of campus and gets shocked by some military-looking dudes, which I literally know why they're like, on campus. What so incarnation weird. is this? <laughs> I was like, oh, this is great. And then I was like, wait, what? What is happening? Very weird. It's got it's gonna be Maggie Walsh in those in those uniforms because they keep hyping her up. She's the one out there tasing vampires. It's gotta be. <laughs> So it's very, very long, and I highly recommend reading the book for yourself. But Mark Fields talks about um, how of human bondage, the book that Eddie refers to is actually like super, super significant in kind of setting the theme for this this episode, which is letting your insecurities take over. Um, and he he talks about how uh, the protagonist of the story, Philip, is just feeling kind of like the weight of failures and disappointment um, throughout his post-college life. And it says, as a result, Maga convincingly shows a sensitive young man's battle to eliminate the con- constraints imposed on him so that he may live freely. But at the conclusion of the novel, it is unclear whether Philip ever attains the freedom he desires and whether Magam's title of human bondage suggests that humanity's natural state of being is one of freedom or rather one of perpetual restriction. And so he goes on to talk about how essentially true freedom and happiness happens when we cast aside all insecurities and when we struggle against the world's um, idea of normalcy or we don't let it allow us to be forced into conformity, but that we recognize that we are individuals that have our own desires and can be our own people. And he kind of talks about how Eddie turning into a vampire is supposed to be kind of the antithesis of Buffy in this episode in that he submits to his insecurities to the point where it causes him to just kind of freeze and not be able to move forward in his life. And Buffy being able to get like Kill Sunday, which is a representation of her own insecurities, shows how she is able to actually um, embrace change. And instead of being like, okay, I have to conform, I have to be like the rest of the other college students in order to uh, fit in stuff, she can embrace what makes her different. And that's ultimately what empowers her in the end. So I don't know. I think that's I think that's kind of just like a, a very, very relatable way to open up not only the fourth season, but Buffy's first episode in college um, 
Yeah, because everyone's been there, you know? So I don't know. I I truly enjoyed this this episode and I'm so excited to talk about the rest of the episodes because it just, I don't know, it's fresh and new and exciting and it's Buffy, so it's going to be good, you know? All right, guys, that was The Freshman and we hope that you guys enjoyed that. Definitely let us know your thoughts on it. As always, you guys can find us on Instagram, on TikTok, on Tumblr at Becoming Buffy Podcast, or you can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. Just as a reminder, next week, there will be no Becoming Buffy episode. We'll be over on Investigating Angel talking about the first episode, City of. And then throughout the month of July, both Becoming Buffy and Investigating Angel are going to be on hiatus. then we'll be back August 4th with the second episode, Living Conditions, here on Becoming Buffy. And then from there, we'll just launch right into season four of Buffy and season one of Angel, which, oh my goodness, guys, we've got so much good stuff in store for you. Cannot wait. But until then, guys, we hope you have a wonderful July and we will see you in August.